The Bible is a wonderful book. Someone said about the Bible, the cover is worn and some pages are torn, though places bear traces of tears. Yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see. Many trophies above from the Father of love and who's nearest and dearest to me. This old book is like a guide. It's a friend by our side and will lighten and brighten our way. And the ever promise we find soothes and gladdens our mind as we read it and heed it each day. Someone said about the Bible, it tells us the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are true. Its decisions are immutable. You can't change them. You would want to read it to be wise. Uh, and uh, you want to believe it to be safe eternally. I love the Bible because it tells us how God started everything in the book of Genesis. It tells us how God's going to finish things in time as we know it in the book of the Revelation. And in between the first thing and the first book of the Bible, it's just the first words are in the beginning, God. He doesn't try to prove himself. He just says, I'm there. And I made everything. At the end... He said, listen, if you believe that, come. You know, to come to the Lord is something he tells us. I think it's one of his favorite words in the Bible is to come. Um, many people want to say, get away. I was a school teacher for 11 years. And, and my favorite verse at the end of the school year was the verse in the Bible that says, send the multitudes away. <laughs> Let them go home. But you know, the Lord doesn't say get away. He says, come. He wants you and I to come to him. He said, come to me, all your labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly. You'll find my burden's not heavy. It's light. And it's eternal in nature. But the Bible is one book with 66 books inside of it. The main theme of the Bible is how that sinners like me and sinners like you, all of us have that in common. We're all stinkers. From the men or the women... It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. And we put sins in degrees, and certainly different sins have major consequences. It's terrible. It's sin to hate somebody. It's also a sin to murder someone. But the truth of the matter is all of us have sinned. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But uh, God has a solution for those things. And God's main theme of the Bible is how can sinners like us be reconciled with a God who's not a sinner? How is it that, that we who have a lifetime full of thinking things we shouldn't think, doing things we shouldn't do, and saying things we shouldn't say, that we even know in our conscience, without a Bible, we know that that's wrong? How can we step and live forever in the presence of God? See, man, should I have any concern? I don't care about the rest of eternity. Well, you need to, because that's where you're going to spend the rest of your time. You need to think about that. One thing we know about the Bible, the Bible tells us to think about eternity. God wants you and I to live with him. But the Bible's the main theme is how can sinners like us be reconciled with a God who's not a sinner? That's why the main character of the Bible is Jesus. See, what's the big deal about Jesus? Jesus, the innocent, died for us, the guilty. And Jesus is the main character. His name is not mentioned in exactly the same way in Genesis, but he's there. His name is not mentioned the same way in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, but in every one of the Old Testament books, the 39 of them that were written before Jesus came, you can see types and shadows of Jesus. 
The New Testament is 27 books that were written after Jesus went back to heaven, and it's certainly packed full of information about the person of Jesus. Jesus said to people who were disheartened, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in Jesus. And then he said in verse 6 of John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father but through Jesus. Every road of life leads to God. Everyone is going to stand before God. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, the Bible says, appointed to every man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. So we're all going to go before God, but not everybody gets to live with God forever. He said, if you're going to come to me, no man cometh the Father but through the person of Jesus. And that's why we've gathered here. That's why the first group of people 134 years ago with Alan Hill gathered is because they wanted to tell people how to get to heaven from here, how they can know about eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we're glad you're here today for that purpose. We're going to go back to our verse of Scripture we read, if we can, please. In Romans chapter 3, of the 66 books, we're looking today at one of those books, the book of Romans. It has 60, it's divided into 16 chapters. The book of Romans is very unique. If you only had one book of the Bible, you couldn't have all 66 books. Knowing what the Bible says, it would be very hard not to choose the book of Romans. This morning, all of our guests will have access to two books of the Bible that are given to us free every Sunday morning, and that's the book of John and the book of Romans. John is written, one of the New Testament books, so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ and you can have life through him. The book of Romans is written, and it's laid out like an attorney would lay out a case. Number one, what our problem is. Number two, what God did about our problem. Number three, what the verdict's going to be for you and I. What is our decision? The jury's out. You have to decide what you're going to do, what I'm going to do with Jesus and with God's plan of salvation. It's a beautiful book of the Bible. We don't have time in the time we're here this morning to go through all of it. But let's look just quickly at, John, at Romans chapter 3 and verse number 19. The guys will get that on the screen for us in just a moment. But verse number 19 says, Now we know what things whatsoever the law saith, that saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The Bible tells us there in verse 19 that God has given us a law. And the law of God simplistically could be broken down the Ten Commandments. There are ten commandments. Four of them have to do with your relationship with God. No other gods before me. Don't worship idols. Don't take God's name in vain. And remember one day to keep it holy unto the Lord. So it has to do with his name, his worship, idols, and his day. The other six, beginning with your first of life's relationships, the other is your relationship with man. The first relationship you have is that with your mom and dad. He said, the next commandment is honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And then it says, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery and sexual sins. He says, don't bear false witness, don't lie, and don't covet. So he lays out all of these other ones. But the truth of the matter is, uh, he says, the law came and it shows us that we need help. We can't keep those Ten Commandments. Occasionally, I'll find someone that will say, I'll ask him, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Do you know you're going to be okay with God? Do you know you have eternal life? And I'll say, well, yes, I think I do. I think I have my chances are good. Why? Well, I try to keep the commandments. Oftentimes, they don't even know the commandments by heart. 
But the truth of the matter is, those commandments cannot be kept by anyone in this room. And no one who has a sinful nature can keep them. There was one person who kept them, and that was Jesus. He fulfilled the law. But he says here, the law is given to us that every mouth will be stopped. All of us, when we are put in a corner, we oftentimes want to say something to defend ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as this person. Well, yeah, I've done some things wrong, but... And God says, one of the things the law does, it's perfect. And it converts the soul. It shows you and I that, man, we're in trouble. We can't measure up. It's not to be kept. It's to show us that we need help. Look at verse number 20, would you please? You can follow along on the screen if you'd like to. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So the Bible says, by keeping good, being good, not doing bad, trying to keep the law, no one can be justified, for the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. The word manifested means made obvious to us. Now there is a way to be righteous before God, and it's been made obvious, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, which was foretold by the Old Testament word of God, even verse number 22, even the righteous of God, which is by faith of who? Unto whom all and upon all that believe there is no difference. He says, no matter who you are, you can be righteous before God. You and I are going to leave this world one of two ways. In our sin or with God's Son. If we leave with our sin, we're going to get a fair trial with the God who made us and knows everything about us. God does, God does not want you to leave this world in your sin. Or you can go into eternity with God's Son, Jesus Christ, and only Him. Not Jesus and baptism, not Jesus and church membership, just Jesus. The Bible says this, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. But unfortunately, God's wrath will abide on that person. You can leave this world with your sin, and you get a fair trial with God. Or you can leave this world with God's Son and have a free pardon, forgiveness, being made righteous before God. Verse 23, let's look at that if we can, please, and then we'll make a couple comments, an illustration, and we'll try to leave this morning quickly. Verse 23, could you read it out loud with me, everyone? For all have sin. So no matter good sinner or bad sinner, we're all sinners. We all have, uh, it's kind of like jumping across the Grand Canyon. It doesn't matter how good of a jumper you are. You could have gold medals hanging off of your neck, being the longest jumper in the world, recognized by the World uh, Olympics. But if you try to jump across the Grand Canyon, you have a law that goes against you. Do anyone remember that law? <laughs> Gravity. Yeah. You try to jump across the Grand Canyon, I don't care who you are, you're not going to make it. I've been there and it's too far. You try to jump across the Grand Canyon, physically you're going to die. Because the law of gravity will bring you to your death. If you and I try to leave this world in our own righteousness, there's a law of God that condemns us. And so we need help. If you're going to get from one realm of the, of the Grand Canyon to the other, you're going to have to have help. You can't do it yourself. If you're going to go from this world to the next and enjoy eternal life with God, and God's very interested in that, you're going to have to have help. 
And God provided that help in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse 24. Would you please look at it with me? And let's read it out loud together. Being justified freely by his grace. The Bible says, here's how it happens. You get justified, declared innocent by the one who you have issue with. That's God the Father. And you can be justified, declared innocent freely. That means without cause. It's not something we merit, not something we earn. The secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. No matter how good or how bad we are, we can't earn our way to heaven. It's not possible. The only way someone has eternal life in redemption is through uh, God's grace. God does the work. He does the free. And then we're redeemed by him. With that in mind, I'd like to show you just a couple illustrations. Brother Jack, would you give me that first thing? There are three things in your life that you need to be concerned about that are against us. There's three problems that all of us have. The first problem is the problem of sin. I appreciate I called a man this morning. He was very gracious to get this for me. It's sin. That's my first problem. I sin because of nature, and I sin because of choice. Um, my wife and I, Linda's right here, and we have nine children. All of them are girls except for seven. And so we have seven boys and two girls, and we love them. But they have a problem. I've never one time had to sit down and say, now here's how you lie. And tomorrow we're going to work on losing your temper. Then I want to show you how to be lazy, and then we'll work on how you can disobey your mom. No, they have all of that very naturally in them. And quite frankly, I have it in me. My dad never gave me those lessons either. And we all sin because of a nature, a nature to sin. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But what that means is, is that when Adam and Eve sinned the Garden of Eden, their kids were sinners. And then their kids were sinners, and they had kids, and their kids were sinners. And all of us have in our DNA a sin nature. That is why Jesus had to be virgin born. The reason he had to be virgin born is because if Joseph or any other man would have been his biological father, he would have been a sinner. And if he was a sinner, his death on the cross would not be significant. Like if I died on the cross, it wouldn't pay for anybody's sin. If you died on the cross, it wouldn't pay for anyone's sin. No, Jesus had to be virgin born. That's why the doctrine of the virgin birth is very important. Why? Because if he had sin in him, he couldn't pay for my sin or yours. Thousands and thousands of people were tortured by Roman crucifixion. It wasn't a one-day one event. That happened all the time. Rome wanted to make sure that they struck fear into the heart of people and hung them between heaven and earth and embarrassed them naked and, and shamed them and beat them and said, you want to come against us, that's going to happen to you. But God used the, the, the event of his son to start time all over again. He divided history with what happened with his son on the cross. And the reason he did that is because we have a sin problem. Our first problem is that of sin. Can I give you, if I don't mind, the next one there? Would you mind doing it? Brother Roy, would you just mind holding that there? You don't have to stand up. Just hold it right there. It's very appropriate that you would be holding that particular one right there. 
I'm just teasing Brother Roy. The second one we've already spoken about. The second problem I got is not only with sin, but the law. The law magnifies sin. It makes it even more serious. You know, it's one thing that uh, the law, the Bible says sin's made obvious, or it's made obvious because of the law. The law of the Lord is perfect. So I don't even believe the Bible. You're going to be accountable for it. The Bible says there's not one jot or tittle that's going to pass away from the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. I'm going to die one day. I'm going to be a, a greasy spot someplace or a, a pile of ashes someplace. I'm going to be in the ground someplace. And the Bible will keep on marching on. It's going to be, it's an eternal book. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So I'm, I can park anywhere I want in Hammond. You can. And you say, well, I never even read the code book. But you'll find out about the code book if you park in the wrong place. Because the law will say, you've broken the law. You'll go see the judge on it. You'll have, to, you'll have to answer for that. Because the law is another problem that John Wilkerson has. I have a problem with sin, and I have a problem with the law. This is my second big problem. It's a big problem for everybody. So I'm going to ask if you would please, Brother Quosel, to hold that up. Let me get the next one if I can. You got it? Here's my, my third big problem, and that is death. I got a problem with death. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Let me just tell you a little bit about what God says about death. The Bible says that death is not annihilation, it's separation. How many of you, if you would please raise your hand, if you know someone who's close to you who has passed on, they have died, would you raise your hand? You know someone like that. Most all of us would know someone. The pain about death is, is that death separates us. It separates us from our loved one. When someone dies, they're not annihilated. Their body stays, but their soul and their spirit leave. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and he told me that on his birthday that his grandson passed away. And he cried, as he told me, because it hurt him really bad. He was separated from that little baby he had looked forward to holding and loving and watching grow up. Linda and I, we had those nine kids, but one of our boys was in a family car with a sweet friend of ours, and the car flipped over, and the driver was fine, the man's back was fine, but something killed our son. And he passed away on the side of a highway after CPR and ambulance, and everybody tried to work on him. And the painful thing about that is that we've been separated from him since that happened. His body stayed. We saw his body again after an autopsy, and it wasn't all that great. But the pain of it is that we didn't get to talk to him again. We didn't watch him. We put him in school, but we never saw him graduate from high school because he died between his junior and senior year. And it created a lot of pain because death is separation. But there's another separation, and everyone's going to have that. You're going to die by trauma, by a stroke, by a heart attack, by cancer, by old age. If you're 116, you'll want to die. <laughs> your body's not made to live. This body that I live in and yours is not made to live forever. You're made to live forever, but not this human body. So you're going to exit this body one day. The Bible says it very appropriately in Hebrews 9, verse 27. It says, appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So everybody has an appointment with death. You're going, to make, you're going to be there. You can cancel your DMV appointment. You can cancel your dentist appointment. You can't cancel that appointment. You'll be there when it happens. 
But there's another death. The Bible's very clear. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 20 and verse 14 and 15, here's what the Bible says verbatim. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The second death is to be separated from God in a place of eternal separation. The Bible tells us, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life, they haven't been born again. Their, their name is not in heaven registers. They have not accepted the gift of eternal life. They will be cast into the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, are you a lake of fire preacher? Are you a hellfire preacher? I'm a Bible preacher. So, yes, Jesus Read the Gospels and see, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. He warned people, don't go there. Avoid the place that's eternal separation from God. Don't die the second death. Because the Bible speaks of death in twofold, physical and spiritual. So we got problems. We got a problem with sin. We got a problem with the law. And we got a problem with death. And I want us to understand that there is one person that answers all three of these problems. It's Jesus. So, what's the big deal about Jesus and religion? I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. I'm talking about a person. Because here's what the Bible teaches. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. He is the way. In the Bible, the Bible tells us this in John chapter 1. But as many as received Jesus, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. By faith in Jesus, a man or a woman can have eternal life. Let's just talk about that real quickly. Jesus is the, he's the answer to this. So how is he the answer to sin? Would you mind looking at this verse and reading it with me, would you please? It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 21. And the first he there is talking about, I dropped Jesus. How about that? I feel like Mary and Joseph, they left Jesus in Jerusalem. I just dropped him at my feet here. But the Bible says that he, God, the Father, hath made him, Jesus, the Son, to be sin for who? Okay. What's he going to be for us? What's our problem? Sin. Who knew no sin? Jesus didn't have any sin of his own. That we might be made the what? Righteousness of God in whom? In Jesus. Jesus is the answer to sin. You got a sin problem? I have a sin problem. And only Jesus can forgive that sin. So Jesus is the answer to sin. The next problem we have is the law. And Jesus is the answer to the law. Let's read this verse if we can in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 3. Would you mind just reading out loud with me? You ready? For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin... The Bible says the law cannot save you. But what the law could not do, because it's, it, all it does is a schoolmaster to tell you, you need Jesus. You can't do it on your own. God sending his son, Jesus, fulfilled the law and took away that problem. 
So Jesus took away the problem of sin. He takes away the problem of the law. We got one more problem. Friends, tell me what that other problem is. Death. Our first problem was? Next one? And now we have a problem with death. What does the Bible say about that? Can we look at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8? Let's read it together. But God commended. What did Christ do for us? He, the innocent, died for me, the guilty. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Okay, now let me just say, friends, some of you say, duh. Everybody knows he paid for our sins. Just because he died doesn't mean everyone has eternal life. Occasionally someone will say, oh, we're all God's children. That's not true. To be God's child, you must be born into his family. Remember we talked about this, how many deaths are there? Two. There are also two births. There's a physical birth, and then there needs to be a spiritual birth. Here is Bible math, friend. If you're only born once, you'll have to die twice. Jesus said you must be born again. There must be a time and a place when you believe and receive Jesus. And that can't be coerced. I can't make you get saved. You couldn't make me get saved. Our wonderful kids, I can't make them get saved. I can't birth them into God's family. It's a personal decision. It has to be made independently. You have to make it for you, and I have to make it for me. But let me tell you how you can make it. Is that all right with you? How can I let Jesus be my answer to sin, the law, and death? The Bible tells us, that we must be born again. What does that mean, to be born again? To be born again means that we believe in our heart that only Jesus could save us. And with our mouth, we ask him to do it. In the book of Romans, in chapter 10, the Bible says this, that if thou, you could put your name there, I put my name there, John, would confess with John's mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in John's heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, then John could be saved. You could be saved. For with the heart man believeth that only Jesus could save him. He's the righteousness of God. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The way people are saved, are born again, is when they believe in their heart that they're a sinner, they have a law against them. They're going to die the second birth, second death. And they say, God, I need you to please take my sin. I'll take your son. See, Pastor, that's way too easy. In a few moments, people are going to get baptized. The reason they got they're going to get baptized is because they already got saved. Baptism does not wash away sin. I think it's good to be baptized. But the first thing you understand about baptism is baptism is not necessary for you to go to heaven. Baptism is what we do after we know we're going to heaven. It's like a wedding band. I, I have a wedding band on. And the reason I wear this wedding band because I have already said a vow. I already made a promise to Linda. She made a promise to me. It's merely a symbol. If I never wear a wedding band, it does not mean I'm not married. If I took it off and put it on the desk here, it doesn't mean that I'm not married. It's a symbol. Baptism is a symbol. It's good to go to church. 
But church cannot wash away anyone's sin. It's good to have friends who are spiritual people, but they can't make that decision for you. You must believe and receive Jesus Christ for yourself. I'll never forget the day that happened for me. It was a Sunday night, and I came to a service like this. The building was much smaller. But I sat over on the right-hand side of the pastor. He began to tell us about the gospel, what I'm sharing with you, that I'm a sinner. I knew that. That wasn't hard to convince me of that. That I deserved hell. I didn't like that, but I, I saw it in black and white. That Jesus loved me, and on the cross, it all was needed to be done so I could be saved. I needed to believe and receive Jesus. It bothered me. I felt very uncomfortable. I had been to church before and never felt so uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable that day. But I'm glad that that uncomfortable feeling and that question that was asked, do you know for sure if you died, you're going to heaven? Have your sins been forgiven? I'm glad they asked that question. I'm glad someone confronted me with that truth. And while that preacher was talking on the outside, it felt like someone else was talking to me on the inside. And that day, I, I believed and I received Jesus Christ. I said, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Please come into my life. Forgive my sin. I believe it here, and I'm asking you to save me now. I did that. That was the best day in the life and times of John Wilkerson because that's when God took care of my three problems, sin, the law, and death. Have you been born again? It's not going to happen over a period of time. It's a miracle of a moment. Just like I ask you when you were born, you don't tell me over a period of six months. No, you just give me a day. It's when you broke the womb, you became, a, you became your mom and dad's child. Well, the same is true. There ought to be a time and a place when you put your faith in Jesus. Only he could save you. I thank you for listening. In the balcony, the main floor, you've been very attentive, and I'm very grateful. This is a very important time. What about you? I told you my story. My story cannot save you. It was a decision I made for me. But could you make one for you? In this room, there are just two groups of people. People that are saved, people that are lost. People that 100 years from now will be with God, people that 100 years from now will be without God, unless they put their faith in Jesus. If you say, Pastor, I need to get that settled right now. I want to give you a chance to do that. It's not hard. Having eternal life is what God does for us. You can't do it for yourself. You can't forgive your own sin. You can try. It's not work. It's not going to work. You can turn over a new leaf. It's not going to work. You can get baptized till in every creek or pond or ocean or baptistry till the tadpoles know your social security number. It's not going to bring it. No, you must personally believe and receive Jesus.